uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on this night before Halloween, this night before Oklahoma State, Texas. Colby Powell joining me. Colby, uh, we had some technical difficulties. I'm now recording from not my man cave, not my house, but the uh, KOCO TV studios. So we appreciate them. My my cable and Wi-Fi has been out for the last day or so. Uh, we do have power after the big ice storm here in Oklahoma City, but uh, we're, we're making the show happen regardless of the, the hurdles. Yeah, I, uh, man, my wife and I got really lucky. We live just kind of in northwest Oklahoma City, and everybody around us was out. My sister and her husband live about a mile north of here. They were out. Got a buddy that lives like half a mile east of here. He's still out, I think, and we never lost power. So we got very lucky and hoping everybody stayed safe on the ice Tuesday and Wednesday because it got pretty bad for a while, especially for October. What are we doing with this ice storm in October? It was a mess, and what was weird is the roads were fine, but we don't normally get ice when all the while the trees have leaves on them. So just all these trees just got taken out. And where I live in Oklahoma City, there's so many old trees that are now, you know, ruined and, and aren't coming back. So it's it's kind of sad, Colby. It was kind of this Armageddon-looking feel where all these trees were collapsing around us. But uh, hopefully everyone's warm now and cleared it all up. Where we have our guy cutting down the what's remaining of our big tree in our front yard. So we'll have to plant a new one. Yeah, I think the golf courses are going to look a little bit different too. Yeah, hopefully that one on number three at the greens where you play is down, the one that blocks everyone's tee shots. I like that one because I launch it super high so it doesn't get in my way and everybody else has to go out to the side of it. Uh, well, you might have lost an advantage there. That tree was always have, a bugaboo yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, Colby, before we hop into the first five um, presented by Chris's University Spirit, the uh, the hour time episode of Falling OSU Football on ESPN Plus debuted on Wednesday. And it's an incredible look at what it's like to be on the headset with Mike Gundy, be in the pregame speech with Mike Gundy. And I thought this clip here, Colby, I'm going to play from uh, Colby Harvell Peel makes the interception. This is the interception and Mike Gundy's reaction. Purdy to throw again, steps up, throws it deep down the middle. Just tell him. Spin it. That's an automatic penalty. Oh, I didn't mean to spin yeah, it. Yeah, I know, I know. When you do it, if, if you just I take just it to the ref, I know. I just dropped it. Yeah. Hey. I told him me. There you have it. Mike Gundy uh, dropping F-bombs and dropping W's against Iowa State. So uh, a fascinating look, Colby. I thought it was the most unfiltered look we've ever seen of Mike Gundy. And it just appears he's like he's coaching his ass off. Two things I love from a football coach. F-bombs and W's, and Oklahoma State got both of those on Saturday. It was awesome. Uh, if you're offended by cussing, highly, highly recommend finding uh, something other than sports to invest a lot of your time in because, believe it or not, athletes and coaches do cuss. I don't know if anybody knows that or not, but they cuss a lot, and TV tries to protect us from it because, uh, you know, FCC violations, but I am a huge fan. I actually think a network could make a ton of money if they had a regular broadcast and then they had a pay-per-view broadcast that was completely everyone mic'd up, hot mics all the time, completely uncensored. They could sell that for 50 bucks a game, and I would pay for it. Yeah, just put it on HBO like Hard Knocks. They can drop F-bombs on Hard Knocks. So I remember Thank Rex you. Ryan going crazy. But, uh, no, I would encourage everyone to check out that episode. It's it's the most unfiltered look you'll ever see of Mike Gundy, and his pregame speech was exceptional. His in-game coaching, he was coaching like a madman. I'm sure he does every Saturday. We just don't get the – the up close look like we did on this episode but he after the holding call on Tywin Wallace he was grabbing a guy and showing Tywin how to block and it was it was fascinating so I would encourage and what plus Colby we were on the episode again that's that's always great so we appreciate the producers who listen to the show and put us on there it's a, it's a real thrill to watch that and and see it go down yeah I like the um, Gundy talking to Tywin about his phantom holding call <laughs> yeah it was phantom he, he did the, the ref did make a good point that the player tried to go back like run backwards or turn around and, and get the guy who was already by him. And he kind of held him a little bit, but I, I thought it was very soft. So, yeah, but, it wasn't uh, half as bad as Brock Purdy's first touchdown run whenever the guy on the edge has the defender's face mask and is holding him back. Hey, they won, Colby. Let it go. 
I'll let it go. I'll let it go for now. <laughs> they got the win. So uh, we have a, a huge game to talk about between Oklahoma State and Texas. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. You can also shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I'd imagine there'll be a lot of people in town for the Texas game, at least those who have the ability to get in the game and still no tailgating scene. But uh, if you're in Stillwater, you, of course, got to make a stop at Chris's University Spirit. They got got the masks with the Curse of Cowboys on it, the, re the regular masks if you don't want to get too spirited up with just the mask. But uh, go to Chris University Spirit and do your all, all your cowboy shopping needs. With that said, let's get to the first five. Colby, number one for me is – the, the point spread, Oklahoma State, I think at last check, was still favored by three and a half points. I'm not sure if that line's moved or not, but we touched on it a little bit on the last show, Colby, but I don't know. This is a weird point spread for me, and I, I think there's a lot of weird lines throughout the Big 12 and the country that we'll, we'll kind of talk about later in the show, but I think it's crazy, Colby, that OSU's only favored by three and a half. Yeah, I think some of that is just due to the name brand of Texas. I'm looking at it right now. It's still minus three and a half. Uh, minus 110 odds so I mean the line has not moved a bit and you would think I, I bet locally a lot of the money's coming in on Oklahoma State but nationally people just man they look for any opportunity to bet Texas it's kind of the same way with OU it's you know in college football more than anywhere else that helmet logo I think it really gets you a few points in Vegas I think that if this were uh, the same players all the same teams coaches and everything except Oklahoma State was playing let's say Baylor or TCU I think Oklahoma State would be a six-and-a-half-point favorite instead of yeah. a three-and-a-half-point favorite. But that helmet logo, those horns, they get you a few points. So I think that creates a lot of value anytime you want to bet against Texas and you think they're going up against a good team like this week, for example, when I am pretty darn confident that Oklahoma State will cover that three-and-a-half. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Vegas looks at trends, and four of the, four of the past five games have been one-score games. So maybe they're looking at that. This, this series has been close. The series has been weird. Colby, there's been a lot of weird games in this series. Like I remember Sam Ellinger when he was a freshman just losing his mind and throwing that interception to Ramon Richards uh, in overtime to, to end the game. And there's just been some weird outcomes, low, uh, low difference in the, in the final scores. But um, I don't know, Colby. I just – we're going to pick the game later, but I just – I don't see an avenue here for for Texas unless they just turn the ball over a ton of – or unless OSU turns the ball over, which that being said, I mean, Spencer Sanders has shown a propensity to turn the ball over. He has more interceptions in Big 12 play in his career than he does touchdowns. But, again, I just – I don't know. I, I don't see an avenue here for Texas other than Spencer just giving them the ball a couple of times. Do you? Yeah, no, turnovers is the obvious way that Texas can stay in this game. Uh, and hopefully Oklahoma State doesn't give them that opportunity. Do you remember the game when Ramon Richards got that interception in the end zone? I'm pretty sure it was in overtime. Oklahoma State had already settled for a field goal, so Texas was going in to win, and then he got the pick. But do you remember earlier in that game, Sam Ellinger took a little dirt nap and was clearly concussed, and Tom Herman ran him back out there? And it wasn't the first time that season he had done it. He did it against OU as well. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It's been a weird series. Uh, Tom Herman is 1-3 against Oklahoma State for showing up. Uh, since showing up in Austin, his lone victory coming last year when Oklahoma State did turn the ball over a couple times. I think Spencer had two picks in that one. Chuba ran it like 37 times. But what, what I remember from the game last year is Oklahoma State not being able to punch the ball in the end zone once they got it in a goal-to-go situation. It was goal-to-go, and then it was three points. And that is another way to keep Texas around. You get down there, you've got a score. And I think Oklahoma State has gotten better at that. I think they've started to use Spencer Sanders more down there and realize that Tylen Wallace is going to beat most people in one-on-one -on -one battles. So uh, that I'm not concerned about as much as the turnovers. I really think the turnovers are the one way that Texas can stay in this game and win it. But I think Texas might do some turning the ball over themselves. Sam Ellinger has five picks this year in five games. And Calvin Bundage, Trace Ford, Amen Ogbongamiga, Tyler Lacey, all these guys. I mean, they're just not going to make life fun for him in the pocket. I was at both of those games that you mentioned, the Ramon Richards game and the game last year. Uh, there's a funny gif. I'm actually going to retweet that in honor of the, the anniversary of that game, 2017. There's a funny gif. Me and Kyle Porter are on the sideline, and the ABC replay slow motion shows Kyle reacting and slapping me in the chest when Ramon Richards makes the interception. It's pretty funny. I'm going to retweet that that gift that came out after that game. So you're right. That was I remember it vividly. It's it's really good. Tom Herman should not have had Ellinger in the game. I, I'm with you. And I thought last year's game, to your point, kind of 
it was kind of a tell as to what we would see later on last year and into this year. I thought the defense, we did a post-game show that night. I thought the defense last year played well enough to win the game. To your point, OSU just slowed down the, in the red zone. They, they kept handing it off tackle on those stretch plays to Chuba Hubbard that was not working at all. And I thought the defense, you know, they got a fourth down stop, which is essentially, essentially a turnover. And they got an interception of Sam Ellinger, who at the time, I don't think he had thrown one that year. Uh, he had been really good at keeping the ball away from the other team. So I, I think that was kind of a precursor of what we started to see late in the year where the defense really kind of carried the momentum of football games to where if the offense just didn't screw it up, they were going to win. And they were holding teams below 30 for the last six games of the year other than the OU game. So I think that was a kind of a tell of what we were going to see, Colby, that, that, that game last year. Very close across the board. Both teams had 26 first downs last year. Total yards, Oklahoma State had 494. Texas had 498. They were within 15 yards passing and rushing of each other. They were within four yards of each other on penalties, and Texas had three turnovers to Oklahoma State's two turnovers. Time of possession, uh, neither team had more than 31 minutes time of possession. So it was about as closely of a contested football game from a box score standpoint as you could ask for. So I, I really don't think it'll be close that year. I don't think Texas is as good as they were at this point last year. For whatever reason, I feel like I've seen some regression from Texas. And I, I don't know if it's the fact that these guys aren't going hard for Tom Herman. I don't know if they're just, man, I, I don't even know how to put my finger on it. They've got talent, but now you see this week, it's just things aren't going well in that program. They lose 2022's number one quarterback commit, a four-star receiver follows suit. It just seems like things are starting to snowball in the wrong direction for Tom Herman. And I kind of feel like all that's carrying over onto the field. So I don't know. I just don't feel like this Texas team has the, I don't know, the guts to, to go out and fight for four quarters with Oklahoma State. I did a podcast with Sean Clinch down in Austin, Texas last night. He asked me what the local – perception was of the Texas football program and I said the Titanic I think the guys playing the violin while people are going overboard on the on the escape boats like Tom Herman's playing the violin and just trying to keep things calm and I think that's a terrible sign Colby I'm not a big recruit guy I think you got to prove it to me when you get on campus that you can play but this kid is a Trevor Lawrence quality quarterback and everyone says this guy's of that quality to lose him and their best receiver in back-to-back -back days, that's a bad sign for Tom Herman and the state of the program and really his job status. I mean, that, those two kids know what's oh, going yeah. on inside that program. I mean, it, it's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, so, uh, what, what is his job status, by the way? Is he safe after this year? I mean, what, I what are we doing with him? I don't think so. Now, he has a $25 million buyout, which if any school can afford it, it's Texas. I, I got to think some big booster there is tired of watching the football program be a laughing stock. So I, I think, Colby, I think there's a legitimate chance if he gets blown out on Saturday that they might fire him after after Saturday. I think it's that tenuous right now. But I'm always of the opinion, just say nothing, write it out, and then get to the end of the season and, and then fire him. Yeah, I agree. Were you at Big 12 Media Days a few years ago when he made an ass out of himself? I was, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so was I. It was, it was cringeworthy. Just being in the same room as him was cringeworthy. Yeah, he's he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room at all times. Uh, but Colby and I talked a little bit about this SOP. with Sean. I talked about this with Sean last night. He asked me like, "What is this? What Texas is though? I mean, other than Mac Brown, who only won two conference titles, which is insane, which tells you what Bob Stoops was doing in Norman. There weren't a whole lot of Big Twelve titles to go around back then. Did win a national title, but other than the Mac Brown era, which was the gold standard." When's the last time Texas was relevant nationally? I mean, you got to go all the way back to like Fred Akers. I mean, maybe before, I mean, maybe back Daryl Royal and Fred Akers is what we're talking about here. Maybe that's just what this program is. Maybe they're just not as much of a powerhouse as everyone wants to make them out to be. Well, I don't know. You remember they beat Georgia in the Rose Bowl and they were back. Don't you remember? Oh, I remember. We're it's been back. Uh, That's like the ultimate freezing cold take, that clip of oh, uh, God. Sam Ellinger. You know uh, who else Texas really misses on the field that we haven't talked about? They really miss both Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay mm -hmm. because from a receiver standpoint, I know they're putting up points this year, but, I mean, Sam Ellinger is having to do a lot. He's already had 65 rushing attempts on the season in five games, Carson. That's 13 attempts per game, which, 
I understand Spencer had quite a few last week, and Oklahoma State's going to do the same thing with Spencer. But I feel like Texas is forcing him to do that because they have to, not as an off-speed pitch. You know, Spencer's an off-speed pitch to Chuba. Texas has Ellinger running all over the field because he has to. He's their best running back. <laughs> I mean, that's it's plain and simple. Yeah, he, he does. He's their best running back, and he's never been that great of a thrower, but it certainly helped him, to your point, to have a Colin Johnson who was 6'5". Devin Duvernay, who's one of the best receivers they've had in a long time. He had a great season last year, now playing with the Ravens. Uh, he, they, you're right. They just they don't have a lot of weapons, and that, that to me, plays hugely into OSU's favor. I mean, OSU's defense is going to go up against a lot better skill talent than they're going to see against Texas. That's why I have so much confidence in this defense and in this team to, to go and beat Texas. Um, I don't know if it's a bureaucracy thing with Texas, the booster thing. All I know is I heard Michael Griffin, the former safety, played for the Titans for a bunch of years, had a twin brother, played for Texas. I heard him on a podcast with Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman on the uh, Oklahoma Breakdown podcast about two or three weeks ago. And he just started listing off his teammates just that were on his Texas team. And it was like jaw dropping, just NFL dude after NFL dude after NFL dude. And that's why Texas isn't relevant. That's why they're not winning. That's why they're not even challenging for the Big 12 championship. They used to be scary on defense. All those years that OSU would come up short and give up big leads because they were playing a dang all pro team essentially that Colt McCoy had on his defense. And so that, that to me is, and you can say the same thing about Oklahoma. They don't, they used to be Alabama good on defense. Uh, oh yeah. In the early 2000s, early yeah, 2000s at, they were scary. Yeah. So that's why Texas, Texas isn't relevant. Right. I'm looking at Texas team statistics here. I mean, who's the best player on that defense? Joseph Asai leads the team's team in tackles, linebacker, 33 tackles. They've got Caden Stearns on the back end. BJ Foster is a linebacker. Is there anybody on that defense that instills fear in you? Because Oklahoma State has four or five guys that are legitimately scary for opposing offenses to have to plan for. I mean, does Texas have a single defensive player that instills fear? Uh, Osai would scare me a little just coming off the edge. Um, He's a good player. I would say him and DeMarvian De Overshawn is a kind of a playmaker, linebacker. Had the pick against Spencer Rattler over the middle in the OU Texas game. Yeah. So I would say probably just those two. But they're, again, they're not they're not Brian Arakpo coming off the edge. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not some of these vintage Texas dudes. Uh, uh, Derek Johnson playing linebacker. I mean, that, that's what OSU was dealing with for years. Guys that played in the league for a decade. So that's that's yeah, I mean, that's the difference. And we are going to talk OSU and, and Colby, you know what's going to happen. We're going to just going to trash Texas this entire podcast and they're going to win the game, right? Yes, we- that's probably <laughs> – I, I know that that's what's going to happen because everybody loves one side. And me and Andrew recorded our gambling podcast the other day and he loves Oklahoma State minus the three and a half. And I'm like, can we just get somebody on the other side of this line? But real quick before we move on uh, to Oklahoma State, Texas defense on the season has seven sacks, seven in five games. Oklahoma State – in uh, four games, has 15 sacks. So it's, I don't know, I just think it's going to be a mismatch. Yeah, those, those numbers aren't good, and they don't have, you know, what we just talked about, a scary edge rusher. But I will say they did they did bother Spencer Rattler in the pocket. When they, they, they got to him, forced a pick, forced two fumbles, one in which he lost. They did, they did collapse the pocket around him, and if that happens to Spencer Sanders, he's shown – He's shown the capability to fumble the ball and hold it a little too loosely or throw the ball to the other team. So maybe that's an avenue too for Texas, but I'm with you. Their, their pass rush has not been near good enough to, to be competitive in the Big 12. And especially, I think OSU's offensive line uh, did a really good job blocking last week in Iowa State. The pocket was pretty much clean for, for Spencer. So if they can do that again against Texas, they'll really be in business. Your stat you sent me a little bit. Sorry, your, your mic was muted. What'd you say? You want to dig into this Ellinger stat you sent me a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. I meant to bring that up earlier. Go ahead. Yeah, the uh, the magic number for Sam Ellinger is 35. You sent this over to me from ESPN Stats and Info. In his career as a starter, Ellinger is 18-0. and 18-0 and when he attempts 35 or fewer passes and 5-15 and when attempting 36 or more passes. Uh, for those of you doing the math at home, that's 23-15 and 15 as a starter I guess that's the magic number. I I don't know, Carson. Is he going to throw the ball more than 35 times? 
Yes. And that's why I'm even more confident in Oklahoma State because I think they're going to be down in this game. I think OSU's going to get the lead. And I think this is a very telling stat to the throwing prowess of Sam Ellinger. He's not a good thrower. He's a really good football player. He can run the football. He can move the chains. He's tough. He's, he's gritty. He's all those things, all those intangibles you want at the quarterback position. But he just doesn't have the arm talent to play on Sunday. And he certainly doesn't have the arm talent to light up the Big 12. He's never been that great of a thrower. So I think this, this stat tells you all you need to know. When they're down and he has to throw the ball, they're in trouble. And that's when teams can really tee off on you, especially a team like Oklahoma State. They love to go after the quarterback even when the game's tied or they're down. So, man, if, if Texas gets behind in this game and it turns into a bunch of dropbacks for Sam Ellinger, just go back to the OU Texas game. OU was all over him. His jersey was complete mud by the end of that game. They really put some pressure on him. And I don't think OU can put as much pressure on a, on a quarterback as OSU can. So I, I think that stat is one of the biggest reasons I'm so confident in Oklahoma State. Yeah, I just – the last thing you want as an Oklahoma State opponent is for Calvin Bundage and Trace Ford to know that you're throwing on that play. You just oh. – you don't want that. Those guys are so nasty, Carson. When has Oklahoma State had two better pass rushers coming at you at the same time off the edge than Bundage and Ford? Not better defensive players. I'm talking strictly as pass rushers. Has Oklahoma State ever had two guys coming off both tackles that are as gifted pass rushers as Bundage and Ford at the same time? Oh, Emmanuel Ogba comes to mind, but I don't think he had a teammate of that ilk. Yeah, I can't remember who was on the other side of Ogba off the top of my head. Uh, Jamie Blatnick comes to mind. Who was on the other side of Blatnick? I can't. That was so long okay. ago. I, 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 don't, I can remember maybe one Rashetti, guy always Rashetti, back, Rashetti Jones. Know. Rashetti Jones and uh, Jamie Blatnick comes to mind. But no, Yeah, I, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, 2013, that was probably their best defense they've had under Gundy statistically. I know 2011, they won the Big yeah, 12, but they forced a bunch of turnovers is really the way they got it done. That, that 2013 defense statistically was the best Mike Gundy's had, and I think the best in the Big 12 that year. They were good. They should have won the Big 12 that year. So, no, I, I don't think there has been two since Gundy's been there at the same time. You know, you can go back to Ugo Chinasa was a really good pass rusher for OSU, but I don't think he had someone on the opposite side. So, no, I, I think it's a great point, Colby. I mean, and it's not just those two. They they can send three or four different guys at you with, with Malcolm Rodriguez rushing the passer. So, But to your point, the, the Edmund Santa Fe kids, Calvin Bundage and, and Trace Ford, they are terrors coming off the edge. Yeah, I forget both those guys are Edmund Santa Fe's. I like watching Amen come on the rush, too. I think Amen's got a good knack for getting around the corner. Yeah, him too. That's that's one I was thinking of. Did you see the the video that Dusty Dvorak posted on Twitter? Uh, Dusty, who works for the Sports Animal and ESPN, he he posted a video clip of a, a rush that Trace Ford had against Iowa oh, State. Oh yes, or he, he dipped. He did this like hesitation dip under the the blocker, where the blocker just kind of stood too upright and just kind of squeezed underneath him. It was a big time NFL level pass rush maneuver, and if he gets to just attempt that on a bunch of third downs, that is not going to end well for Sam Ellinger in Texas. No, it's not. That that move that he displayed was pretty nasty. I mean, that's kind of a – that's an NFL-level move, isn't it? A little hesitation, get the get the lineman set up and then dip underneath his hands. That's – I mean, that's pretty uh, high-level stuff. Yeah, no, he, he's going to play on Sundays. I'm, I think I think Trace Ford is the best NFL prospect they've had on defense since Emmanuel Ogba. That's, that's how good I think he is. Uh, what position will he actually end up playing? It depends on how big he gets. I mean, to me, he looks like a perfect 3-4 linebacker, edge rusher, uh, which can make a ton of money in the NFL. I mean, pass rushers and quarterbacks are the usually the highest paid guys on the team. So I, I think he's going to play a lot on Sunday. Yeah, I think so, too. He's he's big time. I love watching him rush the passer. And, I mean, he's he's good all over the field, though. Last week, they sent him out in the flat in coverage, and I think he had to take up the sideline. Maybe he was taking Kolar up the sideline. I can't remember who it was, and the guys on the broadcast were stunned that they had Trace Ford out in coverage. And, I mean, Oklahoma State does that all the time whenever they want to bring diff blitzes from different places and confuse teams. They'll, they'll line Trace Ford up at the end and then have him drop out with the tight end. So, uh, not a lot of pass rushers can do that. I, I think he's pretty special and has a chance to be even really good, not just play at the next level, but be really good at the next level. He did that last year. They dropped him into coverage against Kansas, and he had an interception, like, in the secondary. I was like, how many linebackers who can get after the quarterback like he does can make that play? That was just, like, a freak 
of nature play. And uh, I actually, I digress here, but his high school defensive coordinator is named Chris Rose at Edmond Santa Fe. He was actually my high school coach when I was in high school. And I saw him recently and we were talking about, I brought up the story that Gundy told how he saw Trace Ford steal a base playing baseball. And that's like when he offered him because he just saw the speed and the athleticism. You know, Gundy likes to watch kids play other sports. It's kind of his thing. He did that with James Washington and, and several other players. And Coach Rose corrected me. He's like, yeah, Gundy was at that game because they are playing Stillwater. And he turned to Joe Bob Clements and said, did you see that? And Joe Bob's like, yeah, we, we saw it. And he's like, we, we, need to, we need to, you know, start talking recruiting. And Joe Bob's like, Mike, we've already offered him. <laughs> we, we know. We know he's fast. We know he's quick. We, this is why we've already done our due diligence here. We've already offered him. <laughs> so Gunny's like, okay. Gunny's like, okay, all right. All right. I'll, I'll settle down. <laughs> then, I guess, I guess the next day Gundy was like, did you guys see him steal that base? And they were like, yeah, yeah, Mike, we, we know he's, he's really fast <laughs> for his size. He's a freak. We know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but that, that story kind of in, entails, there was a, a great article on pistols firing this week uh, that Rod Babers from Texas uh, university actually actually tweeted out the, the quotes and the screen grabs of it, where Gundy kind of spoke a lot this week about his recruiting philosophy on defense has changed. And I thought it was super interesting, Colby. I, I meant to send these to you, but you don't have them in front of you. He talked a lot about how they don't recruit positions. They just recruit guys who are fast or who are quick and who can cover in space. And he's like, if you can't cover, you, you cannot play in the Big 12. And he's like, We'll find a position for you, but that's priority number one is speed and coverability because, you know, a guy like Malcolm Rodriguez came in as a safety. Well, he, he gains 30 pounds and they move him to linebacker. He just, he outgrew the position. And so they, they're starting Colby to bring in guys that are quick, speedy, rangy, and can cover, and then just figuring out their position later. And it's, it's worked wonders. So you, you look at the results now, their defense is legit. Yeah, I mean, you see that at every level. You see it with Bundage and Trace Ford, who can both drop back into coverage. Uh, I mean, in the middle, Malcolm Rodriguez, Amen Ogbong-Bamiga, Colby Harvell-Peel, Trey Sterling. I mean, those are all just athletes that were brought in. And, I mean, you kind of probably had an idea of where they were going to play, but they can really go all over the field. I mean, you can bring Harvell-Peel and Sterling on blitzes. You can drop any of those guys into coverage and feel confident. So, yeah, I love what Oklahoma State – has done defensively. And uh, I think the matchup with Mike Yersich this week will be a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. That's that's my next on our, our first five is uh, facing Mike Yersich, former offensive coordinator that, again, Mike Gundy found out of Shippensburg State in D2 or D3. I can't remember what level they're at. But he, I thought he did a great job at Oklahoma State. He started rough that, that 2013 game at West Virginia. We all remember him trying to force the run down the, in the red zone and it not working. And I think from then on, a lot of OSU fans just wrote him off. But he turned into one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. I think OSU was second in the nation in, in offense one year with Mason Rudolph, James Washington. The verticality he brought to the offense with, with Washington and, and Rudolph. And again, Mike Yersich was the number one recruiter for, for Mason Rudolph. He gets credit for getting to call plays for Mason Rudolph. For some reason, some people didn't want to give him credit for that. It's like, guys, he – he didn't just show up in Stillwater from South Carolina. Mike Yersich recruited him. And I, I kind of did a 180 because I was very critical of him early. And then I felt like I was one of the, his biggest defenders when people would, would hammer him on Twitter. And I think you look at the jobs he's gotten at Ohio State and Texas, I think that coaches know who can coach. And they, they watch the film and they know who, who's doing a good job. And I think the fact he's gotten those two jobs after Oklahoma State tells you all you need to know. are lasting people remember first impressions and I think whenever Mike Yersich got to Oklahoma State he had to kind of feel it out a little bit and I don't think he was a, a great play caller his first season at Oklahoma State but I think he developed into really one of the best offensive co coordinators in the country but that first impression for Oklahoma State fans was oh this guy can't coach this guy doesn't know what he's doing and they could never fully get over that and I even remember whenever he left to go to Ohio State, a lot of Oklahoma State fans were really happy about it. And, and I'm like, I don't know, man. They're just – there aren't a ton of great offensive coordinators out there. You're still putting up big-time numbers on that side of the ball. I, I don't think the offense is the reason that you're not winning conference titles whenever Mike Yersich is in town with Mason Rudolph. I, I think Baker Mayfield is the reason you're not winning conference titles, and he's leaving. So, I don't know. I, I thought that Mike Yersich got some undue – um, hatred from Cowboys fans because it took him 
uh, just probably a season to fully feel out the Big 12, really get his feet under him. And then from that point on, Oklahoma State's offense was, I mean, it was a rocket ship going to space. Uh, yeah, They're, his last year, Colby, they were basically tied for second in the country in yards per play, just behind Oklahoma. I mean, they were out of this world good. Let me go back to 2016, 2017. I think so. Was that just behind Oklahoma, or were the two teams tied for second miles behind? Uh, miles behind. Uh, in 2016, they were 11th in the country in total yards. 2017, they were second in the country in total yards. That was the year I was thinking of. They averaged 572 a game. Oklahoma averaged 579. They were yeah. right there with the Baker Mayfield offense that should have beaten Georgia in the Rose Bowl. Like, like what what more do you want from the guy? Like, that's the job he did at Oklahoma State. And, look, I know we're used to, to high-scoring offenses in, in the Big 12 with, with OSU and, and Mike Gundy's tenure. But, man, I thought he did an outstanding job at OSU. The, again, the – the verticality he brought with with Rudolph and Washington, the, the home run ability he brought to the offense with that that kind of that fake zone read, throw over the middle stuff he would do a ton. I don't know. He did get off to a rocky start. But, again, when he got to OSU in 2013, Colby, their offensive line was the worst offensive line they've ever had under Mike Gundy. They literally could not run the football. They couldn't. They, they literally could not run the ball for a yard. And I know they tried a lot in that West Virginia game. But I think Mike Gerst did a great job. Now – I thought he would have done a better job to this point for Texas. I remember that first game against UTEP when they scored like 100 points. I think they scored like 70. They're still and, averaging 45 a game, but I think that number's a little misleading. Right. They, they've had some big numbers in the UTEP game and the Texas Tech game. Other than that, they've they've struggled once they've played some of the better teams. And, I mean, they, against Oklahoma, they only had like 14 or 17 points late in that fourth quarter. But in that UTEP game, I thought we saw – I raised my eyebrows, Colby. When I saw the highlights, I was like, whoa, you're such – It looked like vintage OSU when he was at OSU with Rudolph and Washington. They were running the same stuff, those those fake zone reads over the, and throwing that deep over the middle. The verticality looked like it was there with Texas. And I thought, look out. Mike Yurst is going to make Texas' offense come into the 21st century for the first time in, in eons. But yeah, since I, then, I, I do wonder, Colby, if Tom Herman's taken the reins because it's been very – very non-explosive ever since. Now, maybe that's part of who they're playing, but I don't know. Yersich, I thought, would have instilled more of his philosophies this, up to this point. Yeah, they had 59 against UTEP, 63 against Texas Tech in overtime, mind you. And then in the three Big 12 games, 31 against TCU, 27 against Baylor. And let's keep in mind, they scored 45 against OU, but that game went to four overtimes. Texas had 17 points in that game with like three minutes left. Yeah. So – OU kind of pissed down their leg or else Texas would have scored at most 24 points in that game. So this, this offense is not as high powered as just the points per game number would indicate. Cause when, when you see 45 points per game, it kind of, you know, it's a little eye opening. It's a little jarring, especially whenever I'm probably predicting them to score maybe half that this week. But whenever you look at it in conference play, I think you get a little better picture after that Texas tech game of what they've been as an offense. Absolutely. So without further ado, Colby, let's pick the game. Uh, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Sorry, I think you're muted again. I'm not showing muted. Maybe my uh, computer's you're, lagging or something. You're back now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when I go to you, it's, it's muted for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. Um, yeah. I'm going to pick it 41 to 20 in favor of <laughs> Oklahoma State. We're Three close. Is the number? I'm just Oklahoma State's going to drill them. Give me your uh, yeah. I think we're on the same page, but give me a give me a key to the game or something that you're going to be watching for going into the game. Okay, so I'm going to be watching. Uh, so Sam Ellinger right now, like I said, has 65 rush attempts on the season. That's 13 per game. So I think that Jim Knowles will have his guys coached up to collapse the pocket around Ellinger and not let him get loose. And if Oklahoma State can do that, if they can keep him in the pocket and also keep him miserable and feeling them most of the game, I just don't think Texas will have a chance. I, I think that Oklahoma State is going to win the turnover battle in this game because I think they will force Ellinger into a couple of bad decisions just by him getting absolutely collapsed and swallowed up in the pocket. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're so close on our pick. I picked it 38-21. So uh, oh, she wins by 17. And again, I, I only see one avenue and one alone 
for Texas winning this game. It's Spencer Sanders. Can he avoid the turnovers? He has not been able to do so in his career. Again, I'll, I'll say the stat till he corrects it and gets on the right side of this. He has more interceptions than touchdown passes in Big 12 play. Now, I will say this about Spencer. He hasn't had nearly the amount of experience you would have expected to ha him have at this point as a redshirt sophomore. He missed three games last year. He's played one series this year and then one full game against Iowa State. He hasn't quite had the game reps for a player of his, you know, starting for two years has. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt. But part of this is a maturation process. We've seen Spencer Rattler turn the ball over a bunch as a redshirt freshman already. I think that's part of it, playing at this level. This is a huge game for him just to not make that critical interception or that critical fumble, which really is the biggest reason they lost games last year. That Texas Tech game, he threw three horrendous picks. We all remember that Baylor game where he, he fumbled the snap and they returned it for a touchdown. Can he avoid the big mistake? Because that is the only avenue I see for Texas to win this game. They, they should not be able to move the football on this defense. Bijan Robinson is highly touted running back. He does not scare me. None of their receivers scare me. Sam Ellinger throwing the football deep does not scare me. Uh, Texas' defense is horrific. OSU, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace should be able to score in this game. They should finally be able to, to let it loose and cut it loose and, and get, get near the 40-point mark against Texas because their defense – we mentioned two pretty good players, two typical all-Big 12 caliber players on their defense, but past that, Colby, they should not be able to – to stop the run and stop uh, Spencer Sanders getting out of the pocket. So I, I don't know, Colby, I, I wanted to pick this even more like, like kind of like you did. Uh, I just, I, I just think that the series has shown these games are typically a little closer. That's why I'm only going with 17, but I was tempted to pick OSU by 28. I, I really was. Yeah. I, uh, by the way, we're both very close to the point total in Vegas on this game. Uh, last I saw, let me check again. Yeah, it's 59. So you're actually right on the number at 38-21, and I'm just <laughs> above it at 41-20. to 20. So we're, we're both pretty close on the point total, but not close on the spread. Um, I, I tell you what, if this game is, is close with five minutes to go, I'll be surprised and I will be nervous. Yeah. No, and, and again, I'll say it again. If Oklahoma State's who we think they are, you go and beat Texas by two or three touchdowns. Texas is – they're a name and name only. They are not, there's no substance behind that name. And you mentioned earlier how they played Texas early in the year last year. I think it was like the first Big 12 game of the year, actually. I think that's hurt them in years past. Texas has always kind of stumbled to the finish line in Big 12 play. So they are catching them later in the schedule. I think that helps. But no, Colby, if, if OSU is elite, like I think they are – if they're Big 12 championship caliber and if they want to win the Big 12, you go and make a statement here against Texas because they they're Colby, they're still not getting credit nationally. I mean, they, they didn't even move up in the in the poll after beating a, a top 17 team in Iowa State. So maybe beating a hapless Texas team will get them the respect nationally. It seems as though that that that, that is the case because I think nationally people respect Texas still more than they do Iowa State. Yeah, the the pollsters love themselves with quality losses. If you're in the SEC, if you're in the SEC, your losses are deemed quality losses, a.k.a. Georgia <laughs> and Alabama. Even though they got run off the field by Alabama, they are still ranked ahead of an undefeated Oklahoma State team. So that is what it is. I don't need to rant about it a ton more today. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Oklahoma State, by the way, if they win tomorrow, Oklahoma State all but assures itself a spot in the Big 12 championship game, right? I don't know. They I mean, can, at that point, you've got Kansas State and OU left are the only two teams I would think could beat you. I think you could. they could lose both those games. I think they could. I mean, I'm not saying they will, but, I mean, they in theory, they could. I mean, when, Gundy's beaten Oklahoma twice in his 15-year tenure. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, here's my thing. Two losses gets you in, doesn't it? Yes, unless maybe, OU maybe runs not. the – well, if OU runs the table – I guess if OU runs the table and Kansas you lose State the tiebreaker, yeah. twice, you wouldn't get in. You're Kansas, right. Kansas State's not running the table. I can tell you that right now. They're going to lose this week against West Virginia. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, they're not. They're they're an underdog in that game, despite yeah. being the ranked team. Um, so no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're all but sure but in just yet. I think if they beat K State, then I'm then I'm willing to go there. But they got to beat Texas and K State, and and who the hell knows what's going to happen in Bedlam. Yeah, if they win the next two weeks, then I think Oklahoma State will all but assure itself a spot, but you're right. They probably need to win two. This week wouldn't do it.
Yeah, if they had OU in the rear view, I would definitely say that. But with OU yeah. coming up, I don't know. That these three games is such a tough stretch. Going going to Manhattan is never easy. That place is going to be psychotic as much as it can be during COVID. But uh, speaking of the Big 12, Colby, there's not that many exciting games. We mentioned K-State at West Virginia. I, I said it. I mean, West Virginia is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. K-State's still without – they're going to be without Skylar Thompson the rest of the way. They got that true freshman playing at quarterback. I think K-State might be slipping up this weekend. What do you think about that game? Yeah, that line has actually moved in West Virginia's direction. They're now a four-point favorite over Kansas State. And, I, man, I think that that should tell us something about uh about them because that's whew, i don't know that's that's a weird line kansas state's undefeated leading the big 12 and west virginia is a four-point favorite that makes me think that west virginia is going to win 30 to 20 something like that yeah no i'm with you and god west virginia just lost at lubbock at texas tech and i think west virginia is better than Maybe I'm crazy, but I think they're better than just kind of the the rum dum we thought they were going to be. I think they're I think they're a little frisky, so I think that that's why I think that win against West Virginia for OSU was so paramount. Obviously, without your starting quarterback, any team in the league can lose. So for OSU to win that game with Shane Ellingworth against West Virginia, whose defensive front is really good, they had a good defensive front. That I think we're going to look back on the, when the season's over, Colby. That that win by Shane Ellinger against against West Virginia could be one of those moments you, you look back on like, wow, wow. Glad, glad they snuck out with that one. That, that was uh that, that could have been a dicey situation. Yeah. I, uh, West Virginia is giving up the second fewest points per game in the big 12 behind Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state is giving up 12 points per game in conference. West Virginia is at about 21 points per game in conference. So frisky. pretty big gap from Oklahoma state to number two. Yeah. I mean, they're frisky. That's a, that's, I yeah. know West Virginia's they're not great, but they can, I think a lot of those teams in the Big 12, Colby, if you just show up and don't play well, you're going to be in for it. I think West Virginia is one of those teams. If you show up, turn the ball over, kind of sleepwalk, they'll make you look bad early, and then you got to kind of wake up. And I think Baylor did that to, to Texas, too, last week. That's kind of what Baylor and West Virginia and some of those teams are like. Uh, not, not much else in the Big 12. I mean, Iowa State goes to Kansas. They'll destroy them. TCU at Baylor, who cares? Neither of those teams are any good. But then you got Oklahoma at Texas Tech. It's a night game on Halloween, which typically during non-COVID times would be a, a really tough spot for a redshirt freshman like like uh, Spencer Rattler to be in. But Tech's not that great. They did uh, they did get a win over West Virginia last week, but uh, I expect Oklahoma to roll in this one. Yeah, I do too. I mean, they're a two-touchdown favorite. Last I saw, I can verify that right quick, but – uh, 14 and a half is what I've got it at right now in favor of OU. And I think they'll cover that. I don't think Texas Tech is very good. I think, and another thing, whenever I look at Texas, I mean, Texas lost to TCU at home. They were in a close matchup. I mean, not super close with Baylor, but didn't just run away from Baylor. 25 they, yards of offense in the first quarter against Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. They should have lost to Texas Tech earlier in the season and didn't. I don't, I just, very uninspiring from Texas, very uninspiring from Texas Tech. Um, so, yeah, I think OU rolls in that one. I think OU starting to figure themselves out a little bit, too. So, I think that that could be a 52-27 type game. Uh, can I whisper something into the microphone that might hurt some feelings for our listeners? Oklahoma might win the Big 12. If they get these guys back from suspension, they're going to be scary. I mean, think about the receiving core, Colby. Uh, Trajan Bridges, Jaden Hazelwood coming back from injury. You insert those two guys in the lineup. Ramondre Stevenson is an NFL-type running back. I think, he, I think he'll play on Sundays. And then Ronnie Perkins is probably the right up there with Jaquan Bailey's of the world in the Big 12 is one of the best defensive linemen in the Big 12, if not the country. So if, if and when, we still don't know when, but if and when they get those guys back, they'll probably come back the week of Oklahoma State, to be honest. And then OSU will get no credit for having faced those guys. But I'm telling you what, Colby, they are playing better. Their defensive line's playing really well. And if they get those three, those are three of the probably the top five players on the entire roster. If they get those guys back, I don't know. You could run the table and that, that would be pose big problems for OSU. Yeah, it definitely would. I, I think OU's starting to figure themselves out. And I told people after the Kansas State and Iowa State's game, if you want to sell your Spencer Rattler stock, please sell it to me because this dude, I mean, he's going to be so good, Carson. And we're starting to see him figure it out, but there's just not a lot that he can't do. He just had to get his head screwed on right a little bit. Now, I'll say this, 
the couple times he was under pressure early in the season, he faltered. And then against Texas, he kind of figured it out. So maybe Oklahoma State could really put some pressure on him and give him problems. But I just – I so struggle with Oklahoma State's mental problem that is Oklahoma. It just seems like there's this – this mental hurdle whenever they face OU. And, and I'm telling you another thing, Oklahoma State fans, you want to see anybody other than OU in the Big 12 championship game. <laughs> so out of self-interest, not just because you hate OU, but out of self-interest, you should be rooting for OU to lose every week because you're probably going to need them to lose one more to keep them out of the Big 12 championship game. It may be against OSU. It may be against somebody else. But Oklahoma State fans should be cheering heavily against OU every Saturday. Yeah, no, none of that rooting for them to be good and high ranked to help your your status. Uh, Hell no. You, you just you just want them to lose. Uh, I will say this about Rattler though, uh, Riley's kind of handled him with kid gloves lately. He only threw twenty two passes against TCU, only completed thirteen. I think he's seen the trouble he's had under duress in the pocket. I think he's seen that he can can turn the ball over. So he's kind of gone into the kind of the similar mode that I go as went into with Spencer Sanders last year, trying to trying to have him turn him into more of a game manager than a game breaker. Cause we remember Spencer Sanders against Texas last year, he was throwing it all over the yard. He was a playmaker. And then later in the year, they were kind of dealing with him with kid gloves and trying not to ask him to do too much in fear of him turning it over. So maybe that's, maybe that's when OSU can really pin their ears back Colby, if they're just trying to roll Rattler out and, and keep him out of harm's way. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I think that the longer the season goes on, we're going to see more and more out of Spencer Rattler. And um, I think that old line is starting to get themselves figured out. And Marvin Mims is built different. He's, he's going to be special. Yep. I mean, he set the Texas high school career and individual season right. uh, receiving records. I mean, that, that's a mouthful. I mean, they, think how many good players have come through Texas ever. So uh, that's enough OU talk. Let's get to the uniform preview it's brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I'm sure you can go buy some jerseys. If you're a jersey wearer, go to Chris's University Spirit. I'm sure they got a full stock of those. Uh, what number would you get, Colby, if you if you wanted to get a jersey? Oh, if I wanted to get one right now? Yeah, it doesn't have to be a – you don't have to get like a player's jersey. But like what, what number would you get that you think would look good on a jersey? Uh, I would probably get 13. That's uh, my grandpa coached baseball for about 60 years, and he wore number 13. And nice. we just had his fun- we just had his funeral this past Sunday, so I'd probably oh. go with 13. Well, my condolences, man. I'm sorry I to hear that. You. I appreciate that. It was his time. It was his time. Yeah. It was a beautiful service. It was awesome. Well, that's a good number then. Uh, I I usually go Des Bryant. When I remember Kyle Porter and I've talked about this for years, like he and I were in college at the same time, and when when we both found out that Des was going to wear one. Oh. we like just ran outside the house and celebrated like he is going to look so filthy and number one. And he did. So I like one and I like seven. I've always liked seven because it's just a, just a cool looking number. And I'm a big single digit guy. I'm a big fan of the single digits. Like a lot of the players are, that's usually the first numbers that go when Howie Tatter recruits get on campus. Yeah. I'll say this. Number one looks good in orange and black. That's a good looking number. And maybe it's just because it looks so good on Dez. But it mm-hmm. looks good on Calvin, too. Num- number one's a strong number. Yeah, I liked the Dez numeral better, the actual number one. The the font they have now, the one looks kind of more like a exclamation point without the dot underneath it, but it still looks good on, on Bundage, no doubt. So, without further ado, let's do our uniform picks. Uh, we've talked a lot about that this week. I think we're both probably going to go the same way. I'm going all black with the chrome metallic brand on the black helmet. I think that's a combination they've worn before. It's tough to beat all black, Colby. It's Halloween night, Texas coming to town. They're going to be wearing all white too, which I think makes a great uniform contrast, uniform matchup, if you will. So I'll go all black with the chrome brand helmet. Uh, Yeah, I'm going black on black on black. Uh, I'm not going with the chrome helmet though. I'm going with the classic OSU logo, not the old school one, but just the generic OSU logo on the side of kind of the matte black helmet. Uh, so we're, we're in agreement with black on black on black, but give me a different helmet just to mix it up. Well, it's the same helmet, just different sticker, right? Yeah, different sticker, different sticker on the same helmet. As long as they go black helmet with the brand, we'll count that as a as a correct guess. If we're, if we're trying to guess the material of the sticker, I think we've gone too far on this. I think they've got too many uniforms if that's what we're going to be. Uh, if that's going to be an incorrect answer. 
Uh, yeah, probably, probably. So. But I mean, Halloween. We need to be rocking the uh, the all blacks on Halloween. Doesn't get any better. Halloween was my favorite holiday in college. We all remember the costume parties. I dressed up as Mike Gundy one year. Yes, college Carson had the uh, the headset and the coach's polo tucked in, tucked in, of course. Now it's if it was cool enough, I could have rocked the sweatshirt tucked in like Gundy does with the with the, tur- the uh, turtle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's got his own look, man. He 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 marches to his own beat on the on the fashion. So uh, yeah, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, Colby. One interesting thing. You got one? Uh, one interesting thing. Trevor Lawrence has COVID nineteen. Will not be suiting up tomorrow for Clemson. So they'll bring in DJ Ugalele, I think is how it's pronounced, and probably will not miss a beat. So number one player in the country is his backup. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a f- total freak. Now, apparently, he hasn't played well this year when he when he's come in in garbage time. But I think Clemson will be just fine against Boston College. They do play Notre Dame the next week. That could be interesting if if Lawrence doesn't play, and I, I guess he won't if he has to be out two weeks. So yeah, if Trevor certainly... Lawrence doesn't play against Notre Dame, then I think Clemson might only win by two or three touchdowns. <laughs> exactly. They're they're loaded, and uh, it's the first time that really a, a marquee players come down with COVID and had to miss games. So that it certainly is noteworthy and. We wish him a, a speedy recovery. Uh, my one interesting thing, Colby, deals with the suspended OU players. Lincoln Riley coming out in support of marijuana use last night, and he says he's done a 180 on it, says he used to just think when he was a young coach that it was for people that were lazy and partied too much and whatever. Now he thinks – or he says it's a uh, it's a mental health thing for a lot of players. And, and again, I, I totally – and I think he's speaking – at large about the issue, not necessarily his players, because I would I would make the point to Lincoln Riley, like, dude, your players were suspended for the bowl game. I don't think they were using it for mental health. I think they were cutting loose and breaking a rule that they knew if they broke and tested positive, they would miss games. Now, all that said, they've they've sat out half a year essentially with the bowl game and the games this year. I think what the NCAA is doing is wrong, and they need to give them some clarity. But I don't know. What do you think about Lincoln Riley's comments? I thought it was really good to to hear him say, you know, we all have things that we think, things that we believe. And then as we receive new information, we can either be stuck in our ways or we can evolve. And I think Lincoln Riley admitted yesterday that he's evolved, that whenever he first started, he was a young coach that had the belief a lot of coaches had, well, marijuana is bad and it's a rule. So follow it or pay the consequences. And then he talked yesterday about the fact that, you know, that's not really a good way of looking at it. A lot of people don't use this it's not just a bunch of stoners on skateboards wanting to get high and go to the skate park. It's, you know, people use it for mental health and it's becoming legalized more and more across the country, including here in the state of Oklahoma, where there's a dispensary on every corner. And yet we've got 19 and 20 year olds missing more than half a season now of college football um, for, for lighting one up. So I, I don't know. I thought his comments were really, uh, really great, really progressive and shout out to him for being able to admit that he was wrong and that he's evolved. Yep. Uh, interesting comments. I think, I think the NCAA eventually is going to, going to wilt on this. I mean, there's dispensaries on every corner in Oklahoma. I get all that. I just, I, I thought he was trying to make his players out to be martyrs a little bit, but anyway, I just, they got suspended for the bowl game. Like, let's not make it, let's not make it more than, than what it really was. And they knew the rule and they're suffering the consequences. Now I, I think it's overblown now with the way they've handled everything. But I don't know, interesting comments nonetheless. Uh, Colby Powell, huge game, OSU Texas. We'll talk to you afterwards, enjoy the game, and uh, we'll get back with you Monday, hopefully discussing uh, another OSU win. Can't wait.